are champions. Shohei Otani is a Dodger. The Dallas Cowboys to the Super Bowl? We gotta discuss this. What's going on listeners? Welcome back to another episode here on the Sean's Take Podcast. Today, We are covering a little bit of everything. We're talking about the MLB, the NFL, and the NBA. Some quick tidbits on each one of those leagues. I'll get you in and out today, but we have some very exciting things to talk about. And we're going to start with the NBA. The in-season tournament came and went. It's time to talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and a couple things we learned about the two teams that appeared in the championship game. So let's start with the likes. What did I like about the first ever NBA in-season tournament game? We'll start with the courts. I heard mixed emotions about how the courts looked. There were some designs that may have been a little bit much, may have been a little distracting from the basketball game itself. But for the most part, I really liked seeing these courts. It was different. It was new. It was exciting. And that's what I appreciated most about the NBA's touch on changing the courts to something drastically different than the typical home court that these teams would play on. So I did appreciate that from the NBA. I think it added some artistic ability. I think it added a nice element to the game, something different, and it helped create an environment that leads into my other like about the in-season tournament, and that was the intensity. It was wild to have regular season games mean so much to some of these teams, and it was fun to watch players really go out and compete like it was the playoffs in the beginning of the regular season. That's not something we've ever seen before in the NBA, And I loved watching teams really put their best foot forward in these games because the stakes were a little bit higher than a typical regular season game where if you lose one regular season game in an 82-game season, it doesn't really mean that much. But in the in-season tournament, these teams took it very seriously, and you saw the effort reflect that on the court. So that was a couple of things I liked from the tournament. What did I dislike? I talked about this on a previous episode. If you listen every week, I dislike the timing of the tournament. I still think it would have been very, very cool and such a bigger deal if the finals fell on Christmas Day. Christmas Day in the NBA is a huge thing that we all watch as NBA fans. And I understand the league wants the three games on Christmas Day. You get New York, LA, and Boston typically are the big markets that appear on Christmas Day. But I think a finals of the in-season tournament on Christmas Day would have been such a big deal and would have been something very cool to continue forward every single year as the in-season tournament progresses. But they didn't do that. I don't agree with it. I understand they want the multiple games to bring in viewers from all over the country. But if you had the championship game on Christmas Day, I think it had a potential to be even bigger than what Christmas Day basketball currently is. So that's one thing I did not like about the tournament. But outside of that, I'm very pro the in-season tournament. I think it's a great concept. I think it's the smallest it'll ever be right now. It's only going to get bigger and better, and I think it's a great thing that the league implemented this season. So now I want to quickly touch on what I learned 
from the two teams who appeared in the finals, the Lakers and the Pacers. I'll start with the Indiana Pacers. Their offense has the potential to be unstoppable. They were not a team that people thought would advance to the tournament finals. And once we got into the knockout rounds, in my predictions, I picked them every step of the way and I picked them to lose against the Lakers. But I did that because I recognized that this offense is a different level than most every other offense in the NBA. Now, it is important to note the Lakers did find a way to shut them down in the championship game. But to the Pacers' credit, they beat a really solid Celtics defense on their way to the championship. So the concern is, when they play a great defense, can they be stopped? To some degree, the answer is yes, because the Lakers did that. But they powered past some teams with very good defenses, not just in the tournament, but in the regular season so far. And they've shown you can throw everything at us, and we're still going to find ways to score the ball because we are very dynamic. Tyrese Halberton is a superstar now. He's playing at an MVP-type level. And he's going to lead this team to new heights that they have not reached in the past couple of seasons. When the offense is on, the Pacers are going to be very, very hard to beat deep into the postseason. There is a question of whether they're a better single elimination team than they are a team in a seven-game series. And I am inclined, unfortunately for the Pacers, to say they are better built for these knockout rounds where you're one and done. Because when that offense is on and if they get hot, they can go through and you're only facing them once. They can give you a very hard time when you're just playing them one at a time. If you're playing them in a seven-game series, though, I do think you can adjust more to this offense and find ways to slow it down. So if it came to Pacers-Celtics in a seven-game series, I would very strongly take the Boston Celtics to come out on top in that series. But who knows? The Pacers, if their defense gets a little better, they can be a true contender in the East. Right now, their offense is there. It's above where it needs to be to win, but their defense is going to have to improve if they want to be a true NBA title contender. Now moving on to the champion Lakers. What did I like about the Lakers? What did I learn about them? I learned that when they really feel like playing defense, they may be the best team in the NBA. For winning the championship game 123-109, to it is shocking that the Lakers only made two three-pointers That entire game. If you told me going into the championship game, the Lakers are only going to make two threes tonight, I would have said there's no shot that they're going to win this game. But they still won it by a sizable margin because they locked down on the defensive end and they gave full effort on defense. And when you couple that with Anthony Davis being aggressive in the paint, this is the results you're going to get time in and time again. So when the Lakers feel like playing defense and attacking the rim, They may be the best team in the entire league, and I firmly believe that. Now, of course, I would like to see them make more than two three-pointers when we get to the playoffs, because (laughs) there is a degree. It is the NBA in 2023. You're going to have to make outside shots in order to win a championship, and the Lakers don't have to be the best at it. But in a seven-game series, you got to be making seven to ten threes minimum, I think if you really want to beat a team like the Denver Nuggets deep in the playoffs. So really good that the Lakers can play elite defense when they want to, and they showed that. And it's really good that they have committed to attacking the rim and not hucking up threes when you're not going to make that many. But I would like to see their perimeter shooting improve just to add another element 
to this dynamic offense. So now as we transition away from the NBA, I would like to make one more point. And this, at the time I'm recording right now, in the Eastern Conference, the Orlando Magic are the number two seed. And in the Western Conference, the Minnesota Timberwolves are the number one seed. If you told us that at the beginning of the season, whatever we are, 20-something games into the season, the Magic would be the number two seed in the East and the Timberwolves would be the number one seed in the West, everyone would have called you crazy. But it's really, really cool to see these two teams having such success because it shows there's a lot of parity in the league this year. And there's a lot of teams that are really good. And we've had some teams who we thought were really good not start out so good. And we have two teams here with the Magic and the Timberwolves who we maybe expected to be fringe playoff teams dominating their conferences. It's just very cool to see. We'll see how long it stays like that. But it's been a great start for those two franchises. I wanted to highlight them out because that was not something that was supposed to happen. So now let's transition over to the MLB. Of course, we know the major news is that Shohei Otani signed with the Dodgers. It's the biggest free agent signing in the history of the MLB on multiple reasons. One from a monetary value, 10 years, $700 million is unprecedented money. But also, he was the biggest free agent ever, not just because of how much he was going to command financially, but because of what he brings to a team. When his career is all said and done, he will have the opportunity to be crowned the GOAT of baseball, which is not something that you find very often. And I know he's not pitching this year for the Dodgers, but if he returns to the mound in, what, 2025 and gets back to the ways that he pitched before his injury this year, he has a chance to be called the best baseball player ever if he can sustain that for the next 10 years as a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And we also have to talk about now with the Dodgers, is this the best trio of bats ever? You have Shohei Otani, Mookie Betts, and Freddie Freeman who will be going back to back to back in their lineup this year. And I don't know that we've ever seen a trio of bats that powerful and that dynamic. And I'll have to go back and do my research to look at some of the older teams because I'm sure there were three superstars on a lot of teams. But man, I don't know if you can get better than Otani, Mookie Betts, and Freddie Freeman going back to back to back in your lineup. So now the next question that we have to ask for the Los Angeles Dodgers is what comes next? Personally, I would like to see them add to their pitching department. We have seen the past couple seasons big money teams flop majorly. The payroll can be really high. That doesn't mean you're going to succeed. And I think these Dodgers are different because they've had sustained success. But if we look back to last season, the Mets, Dodgers, Yankees, and Padres all deeply disappointed. And I know the Dodgers made the playoffs and had one of the best records in the regular season, but they lost to the Arizona Diamondbacks in the what divisional round of the playoffs, a team that they not only beat for the division title, but also beat consistently throughout the regular season. And when it came playoff time, they did not hold up against them. And of course, the Mets, Yankees, and Padres all didn't even make the postseason despite having three of the largest payrolls in the entire MLB. And the Mets had the largest in MLB history and still could not even crack a wild card game. So while Otani is a Dodger, there is still work that the Dodgers need to do. And I think their bats are set. They've got a full lineup one through nine. But we got to, one, get the pitching department healthy, and two, it would be nice to add another starter or two in free agency. I know they're not going to have the money to go sign someone like Blake Snell, who's going to command $100 million plus million in free agency, but if you can add an arm 
that can give you some depth and give you some reliability in that rotation and then get guys like Dustin May and Walker Buehler back healthy and hopefully bring Clayton Kershaw back for another season, you'll be okay. But right now, their starting rotation is not as strong as it's been the past couple seasons. And that does become a little bit of a concern for this next season in Los Angeles. Also, what we need to mention in the MLB, in the midst of the Shohei Otani signing, there was a major neglect to the fact that we had a blockbuster trade happen just a couple days prior. Juan Soto was traded from the Padres to the Yankees, and that's a big deal for the MLB and for the New York Yankees. I'm not surprised the Padres did this move, but it does mean that them trading for Juan Soto a couple years ago was a major disappointment. He was supposed to go there, make them World Series contenders, and that did not happen. It didn't click there. If the Yankees now can get Juan Soto producing like he did when he was a member of the Washington Nationals when he began his career, look out because you have Juan Soto and Aaron Judge in your lineup, two of the most potent power bats in the MLB, who can both hit for average when they're on, you're going to have a very, very dangerous duo in New York, and that's what the Yankees are looking to do, and I think that they will maximize Soto's potential. I think the pressure is going to be off of him a little bit more than what it was in San Diego because you already have Aaron Judge there commanding the spotlight, and you can kind of let Soto find his groove again, get that power back, and it's it's a good move for the Yankees. I'm happy they made that. They knew they were out on Otani. They didn't want to wait around any longer to improve their roster, so I commend them for doing that. And you go out and get a guy like Juan Soto who, again, if they can get his potential back, get him playing like he was when he was a member of the Nationals, the Yankees are going to be a very happy franchise next season for the years beyond as you have Aaron Judge and Juan Soto now locked up long term. Those are the two biggest storylines so far this MLB offseason. And now with Otani off the market, expect to see the rest of free agency pick up. The reason it's been so slow so far is because teams were putting aside five, six, seven hundred million dollars hoping they could get Shohei Otani. Now that he's off the market, the books for everybody except the Dodgers kind of freeze up a little bit because they know we don't have to set aside 500 plus million dollars if we want to get this guy. And now they can go spend some money on other free agents who are still very, very talented, but just aren't named Shohei Otani and don't command the value that Otani commands. So as I mentioned, Blake Snell's still out there. Jordan Montgomery's out there. Cody Bellinger is out there, just to name a couple. These guys are all going to get good-looking contracts and really help some teams in free agency, and we'll start to see that news pick up now that the shift of focus went from Otani to the rest of the field. So we're going to move on from the MLB now. For the last couple minutes of this episode, we're shifting over to the NFL. It is time to talk about the Dallas Cowboys and what they are doing this season. The past couple weeks, I think the Cowboys have grown on all of us in terms of how good they really are. But this Eagles victory puts them in a different light for me. Sunday night football, the Dallas Cowboys at home, 33-13 over the Philadelphia Eagles, a team they had barely lost to earlier in the season. And I think that cemented for me that the Cowboys are really the number two team in the NFC You could argue number one, but the San Francisco 49ers did beat them pretty handily earlier this season. And until the 49ers really screw up some way, they're the team to beat in the NFC. But the Cowboys are a clear number two now. And they're, for the first time in recent memory, for me at least, I truly consider the Cowboys 
Super Bowl contenders. Past couple years, they've had the hype. I never considered them a contender because I didn't believe and they never delivered. But now they're in my Super Bowl contender category. And it's going to be a dogfight between them and the 49ers to see who the best team in the NFC. Both have 10 and 3 records right now. Both are going to want that home field advantage in the playoffs. It's going to be a race for the rest of the regular season to see who may lose a couple games and who may stay at number one seed and get that home field advantage on their road to the Super Bowl. But yeah, the Cowboys are for real. They're looking great. Dak Prescott is currently the highest odds to win the NFL's MVP award very deservingly this season. And the defense is great. They're a very well-balanced team. And this is by far the best Cowboys team I can ever remember watching. So what I'm wanting to do here in the NFL, with all this being said about the Cowboys, who are the true contenders in the NFL? And I think the NFC is a bit more bleak than the AFC, so we'll start there. The two teams I've already mentioned, you've got the 49ers and you've got the Cowboys, two bona fide Super Bowl contenders this season. The only other team I really consider a Super Bowl contender would be the Philadelphia Eagles. Yes, I know that they just got destroyed by the Cowboys, but the Eagles are still a very good team and they can still make another Super Bowl. I think those are the three Super Bowl contenders. I don't think the Lions are ready yet. The NFC South, none of those teams are contenders this year. And then the teams we have in the hunt include the Vikings, Packers, Rams, Seahawks. I don't think any of those teams are contenders. If I had to pick a dark horse from the NFC, I would say the Los Angeles Rams because they have that experience. They have the coaching to get it done. And on any given day, we just saw how the Rams nearly beat the Baltimore Ravens this past week. The Rams can beat anybody on any given day, and that can be dangerous when you get to the postseason. But they first have to get into the playoffs, and then I'm still not convinced that they're going to beat the 49ers, the Cowboys, or the Eagles. But if we're taking a long shot, I would say the Rams as a team that could upset some teams and make a run to the Super Bowl. But I do not consider the Rams Super Bowl contenders right now. Flipping over to the AFC as we round out this episode, the Super Bowl contender list here I think is a little deeper. I consider the Ravens the best team in the AFC right now. They are Super Bowl contenders. I say they're the best team in the AFC, but I'm not convinced that they would be favored in every playoff game they play. But nonetheless, they are Super Bowl contenders, and if they can get home field advantage in the playoffs, that would be huge for them as well. The Miami Dolphins, I know they haven't beaten good teams this year, but I do think they are Super Bowl contenders because on any given day, you do not want to play the Miami Dolphins in a win-or-go-home scenario because that offense is good enough to explode against almost any defense in the NFL. So I do think the Dolphins are Super Bowl contenders. I know the Chiefs have not looked the part this season and in every game, but are we not going to pick Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs to get a win in the playoffs? We are. They are Super Bowl contenders as well. And now the next team I have is a team that may not even make the playoffs. They have a lot to do, and it's very doable, but the odds are stacked against them to get into the postseason. That would be the Buffalo Bills. We saw them just beat the Chiefs. That kind of saved their season as well, getting that win. The Bills, though, if they get into the playoffs, they can win the Super Bowl. They are contenders. They have the roster to beat anybody on any given day. They just have to put the pieces together. But the Bills are not a team I would want to have to face in the playoffs if you're the Ravens, Dolphins, or Chiefs. So the Bills, I consider Super Bowl contenders. Those are the four legitimate ones. I don't think the Jaguars are ready. The Browns' defense is Super Bowl ready. And I will say with Joe Flacco leading the offense, they look a whole lot better than they've looked with any of their other starting quarterbacks this season. 
But I don't think the Browns are Super Bowl contenders, even though I will say Joe Flacco, out of all the quarterbacks they've started this year, gives them the best opportunity at getting to a Super Bowl because he has been there before and because he can really sling it. He has shown he can still sling the rock. Um, I I think the Browns could be a tough out, but I don't consider them Super Bowl contenders. But the teams I do would be the Ravens, Dolphins, Chiefs, and Bills. But it will be a very competitive postseason, I think, both in the NFC and the AFC, more so the AFC, but the NFC is still going to have some great games. And hey, on any given Saturday or Sunday in uh, in the playoffs, anyone can win anything. So just because you may not be a team I mentioned as a Super Bowl contender right now, it doesn't mean you don't have a shot when you're in the postseason. So just wanted to touch on that real quick. We'll see how the landscape of the NFL changes as we move forward. But I do think it's pretty set on the teams that I mentioned being Super Bowl contenders. And with that, we've talked about the in-season tournament, its successes, and perhaps minor disappointments. We have talked about Shohei Otani and his record-setting free agency. We have talked about the NFL and its contenders. And as always, thank you for listening, and I'll see you back here next week on the Sean State Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Sean Steg podcast and make sure to join Sean Steg on social media for more unique and exclusive content by following at Sean Steg on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok.